0: Welcome back to episode 129 of the Woman of Marvel podcast where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. We are the women. Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This
1: is Judy Stevens, producer. And this is Sana Amanat, director of content development. And today, we have with us some more lovely ladies at Marvel. Um, I'd like to introduce you uh, guys to uh, associate editor Sarah Brunstad and um, uh, writer extraordinaire (laughs) Devin Grayson. I'm sorry, I can't speak today. (laughs) No worries. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Sarah's very exciting introduction. That was That's great, So We're Sarah. putting her on the spot. Yes. Um, so uh, I, I should note, um, Sarah is actually uh, one of our editors. She's been here for quite some time. I would say maybe about two years now, right, Sarah? Uh, almost four. Um, four? What? Oh, yeah. God, four years. Sarah interned for me back in the day. Oh. Um, and now uh, she is uh, probably a better editor than I am. She's been working on a bunch of our... Um, our prose novels that we have going on with Disney and Mm -hmm. ones that we do in-house and then um, also what a
2: lot of our sort of activity in children's books as well right so um my job is uh, really kind of large. Um, the biggest part of it is definitely our prose line, um, which I was hired to work on, but I also put together the art books that we make for the films, um, gathering all the concept art and keyframes and things like that. and uh, I handle a lot of our licensing reviews. So definitely working on um, everything from young adult books to, yeah your basic like preschool activity books
1: and you also have a master's, right? So you're... I do. Basically you're smarter than em. us. Yeah,
2: <laughs> basically. You're more qualified to be
1: doing the work than we are. I <laughs> hope our bosses didn't hear that. Um. Uh, okay, and then Devin is um, a really fantastic writer. Devin has been uh, in the industry... Devin, how long, actually, have you been in the comics industry?
3: Almost 20 years now. 20 wow. years. You're wow. freaking... very close. Pro. We're like 18,
1: yeah. Pro. So you probably have a lot of advice to give... Our listeners because you just you 've been there, you have experienced have. all of the things
3: and there are yes. lots of things it 's a thing filled industry yeah
1: so we'll we'll get into that in a second in a second, um, but I should note uh, devin has written um, Batman uh, Gotham Knights, Uh, and uh, I should also say that Batman is one of my favorite superheroes. I know I'm not probably supposed to, (laughs) Um, so that's a pretty cool gig. Um, In addition to, uh, at Marvel, she's written uh, Black Widow and X-Men Evolution, Um, but we're having her here today because of the uh, Doctor Strange prose novel uh, that she wrote and Sarah edited, Um, so actually, why don't we just dive in and talk a little bit about, um, the story and the process that you and Sarah went through to put this out, uh, for all of us.
3: Fantastic. Um, do you want to
2: start, Sarah, or? Uh, sure. (laughs) Um, so if I, if I remember rightly, we were working with a freelance editor at the time. So our, our in-house prose novels, um, are edited uh, overall, overall by myself and by uh, Jeff Youngquist, our VP of Special Projects. Um, but we also usually have a freelance editor who really does the kind of down and gritty stuff and takes a first pass over the manuscripts. Um, and that was Joan Hilty, uh, who is great and now works for Nickelodeon, I believe. Um, but she was awesome. And she, I believe, brought Devin into the fold. Is that right, Devin?
3: That's correct. I worked with her before at Vertigo, actually. She was the editor of my project, User, with John Bolton and Sean Phillips. Um, so, yeah, we've known each other for almost <laughs> that, uh, that 19-year period.
2: Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Joan is great. And uh, when she brought us Devin, we were really enthusiastic from the beginning. Um, and the outline was really exciting. Um, So the book is Doctor Strange, Fate of Dreams, and it's all about him traveling through the the dream dimension, which is collapsing. Um, I'll let Devin sort of speak to the details. Um, But it was a really exciting and really emotional story, um, and timed, of course, to come out with the film. Um, So we really wanted to bring in some new readers who weren't all that familiar with some of his history. So, Devin, what was, I mean, what's that process like? You
1: were, you know, obviously you did comics writing mostly. Did you do any type of prose writing before... I had. I'd done
3: yeah. um, three similar licensed publication books for DC, um, uh, two with Batman and one with um, the Superman, actually, from the Smallville TV show, mm-hmm. so it was sort of a, a separate continuity. Um, but this was the first one for Marvel, and it was also my first professional encounter with Dr. Stephen Strange. So in addition to sort of having to quickly come up with an outline, I had to do all the research um, to figure out who he was and what I wanted to say about him. And and, uh, fortunately I'm crazy and I love that process of diving into that um, you know super detailed um, not coming up for days research and um, I think my whole life is about having a relationship with fictional characters really so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, I mean uh, we all have to be a little crazy I, to be working yeah. in this industry let's exactly. be honest <laughs> <laughs>
3: and he turned out to be so interesting and awesome. And I feel so honored to have met him and um, really loved the process of working on the book.
1: So why don't you talk a little bit about about the story and sort of where that came from and what your intention was with it?
3: You bet. So uh, The Fate of Dreams sees uh, Doctor Strange moving through the greater dream realm, Um, and we know about um, Nightmare, which is one of his more uh, popular villains, and I think he's, you know, CAF. I really wanted to use him. He's a wonderful villain. So, um, but we sort of only know about nightmare, his realm, but obviously there are more kinds of dreams than just nightmares. And I was sort of curious about what the rest of the dream dimension might look like. So I started to put together an architecture for it um, and kind of personifications of different leaders of different realms. So that took a lot of research into dream stuff and it took a lot of um, thinking about what that would all look like in that greater magical context that you always need to be thinking about with Dr. Strange. Um, There were three reasons I really wanted to use the dream dimension in the book, and the first was, uh, again, because of Nightmare. I just really like him as one of the villains. The second was that it allowed me to use elements and characters from Stephen's life that might have been, you know, editorially complicated to use otherwise. But as long as you're talking about dreams, you can kind of work things in that might otherwise not have been uh, accessible to what we were trying to do. Um, But the third that really intrigued me was that dreams themselves exist in a space between the brain science that creates them and our kind of more mystical experience of them as dreamers. Hmm. And that tension is really at the essence of Stephen's life, too. He's very much a scientist who has turned his life over to magic. And I really thought moving to that dimension was a good way to emotionally introduce readers to Stephen Strange.
1: That's so cool. I love that idea. I mean, that's, you know, the one thing that I've always struggled with, and I, and I really like Doctor Strange in general. I didn't, I wasn't as familiar with him until I started working um, in comics, but he's still not one of my favorite favorites. But I love yeah. his personality, and I love this idea of trying to merge, like, the mystical arts with you know, the scientific and like, you know, how that actually comes about because they seem like a contradiction in a lot of ways. Right. Like it's. Right. And, and he
3: absolutely embodies that contradiction. You know, he's a fascinating character and I think actually has become my favorite. Um, although of course spending this much time with anybody might do that, <laughs> but um, he is unlike any other of the Marvel superheroes that we're used to. He, his, origin doesn't follow the kind of typical um, hero's arc that we're used to. He really starts as this despicable human being. He's a world-famous neurosurgeon, um, and he's concerned with nothing but status and money. And most of the Marvel heroes, when you think about them, they sort of are naturally empathetic, and that leads them, leads them to some kind of knowledge, and then something horrible happens to them that gives them powers, and they sort of know immediately that they need to use those powers to make the world better. And that's not this guy's story. <laughs> he um, had a horrible accident, lost the use of his hands, as we know from the movie, and uh, couldn't be a surgeon anymore, and had to find something new. But um, it was kind of by accident, like, he's drunk and derelict and just walking through the the wharves. This is his, the original Urtext. Um, and he uh, accidentally hears about the ancient one, this person who can heal anything, and um, kind of with nothing else to do, follows that rumor all the way to, to Tibet. And uh, his whole life has changed. But it's not changed by, like, oh, I really care about these people and I want to help the world. Magic is empirically proved to him. Mm
4: -hmm. And as a
3: scientist, he sort of looks at that and goes, oh, wait, the game is not what I thought it was. It's way bigger. And obviously, I need to learn how to do this and master it. And obviously, that is going to encompass taking care of... You know, the, all the inhabitants of Earth, the entire realm. Um, so it's just, it's a really interesting way. And then from there, in doing the duties, he learns empathy and he starts to really huh. care about the people he's protecting. So it's not the kind of superhero arc that we usually see. And I love that about him. I love that he's a grown up. I love that the beats don't happen in the places that we're used to.
1: Right, right. So he, you're saying like his, his, mission statement and his desire to become you know Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme has to do with knowledge that desire yeah, for ultimate knowledge.
2: That's exactly right yeah. Huh. And one of the things that I really loved about um, Devin's whole approach was taking side characters who, in some ways, mirrored different aspects of Strange and using them as sort of reader entry points. Mm. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to that, Devin, but the Shannara's whole character, um, the idea that she also is a scientist who is skeptical of these things when they first start happening to her, she... You know, has a demon on her on her back and uh, Doctor Strange helps her get rid of it. And then um, she ends up helping him dive into the dream dimension and sort of sort things out. Mm. Um, But it gives you that kind of like viewpoint for the reader to come in.
3: Exactly. And then the other character is Jane, who's an inhuman. So her experience is much more mystical and out there. Um, And it was really important to me to sort of indicate the larger world around him, both in terms of inclusion with female characters and people of color, um, and also in terms of sort of the supernatural architecture of the universe as Ditko and Lee originally uh, developed it, which is just, it's so huge and so predatory and dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, yeah, Sharania is a scientist herself who's studying dream science and understands it very clinically. um, And she finds herself embroiled in something that she can't explain through normal means and um, as she's moving through the dream dimension with Stephen, she really is sort of an echo of his earlier voice of trying to make things make sense in a scientific context um, and that um you know, pulls memories out of him as they move together. And then Jane, on the other hand, is a very young inhuman who's really struggling with her powers and is kind of overwhelmed. And her particular power has to do with the dream dimension itself. She's receptive to the dreams of the uh, dream sovereigns instead of normal dreams. And she moves in and out of the dream dimension, um, not really at will, but, but kind of accidentally slips back and forth. And uh, so that's sort of, you know, the, the mystical, the the too large to fully explain. Um, she, she's much more embracing that side of him. And he's moving through the dream dimension with both of them and with
1: Nightmare. That's awesome. That yeah. sounds awesome. I, yeah. I actually, I have not read it yet, but now I need to read it. Cause it sounds
0: so cool <laughs> i know dreams dreams are always like like made me really interested growing up, but, like what did your dream mean, and to know that they're yeah. like some type of like science attached to it would be really good yeah to know. yeah
3: exactly yeah and they they really um you know they can be described as sort of you know neurochemical um things that you know Sharanya talks about her understanding of dreams from a totally scientific point of view, um but then right they we also really all experience them in this much more mystical context Mm -hmm. and what I've always loved about them is that the rules are so sort of cartoony and weird like in a dream you can be in a place but it isn't really that place and it doesn't stay that place you just know it's supposed to be that place Mm -hmm. and people change you know all of that is is very uh, fluid and I really loved being in a space where that could keep coming up
1: yeah it's definitely like an amalgamation of everything that strange is right like sort of a Mm -hmm. mix of sort of the mystical um, and the factual in one place, right? That's interesting. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, we actually have a little bit of a clip
0: from the said prose novel.
2: Yeah, I want to hear it. Let's listen to it. (laughs) Uh, So to introduce this a little bit, this is... um, Graphic Audio is one of our licensees. They do uh, these really elaborate um, productions of all of our prose novels so far. Um, Their whole slogan is a movie in your mind. It's a very interactive experience. Um, And so they did a great production of uh, Doctor Strange, Fate of Dreams. And the scene that um, this is coming from is uh, Stephen has found Jane in a dream finally. He's tracked her down and he's trying to help her make sense of everything that's around her but it's a very um, chaotic scene. There are a lot of predators, like Devin was talking about, in the dream dimension, um, and she doesn't really know how to fend them off. So this clip kind of jumps you right into the action.
4: Just stay calm. As he began mentally crafting a banishment spell, two of the cabin walls collapsed together. Mole-like monsters with long whiskers and sharp claws began burrowing up through the floor. The buffalo creatures began a slow, menacing advance as Stephen started his incantation. He'd drive them out of Jane's mind and into the dream dimension, thereby clearing the girl's head long enough to center her. Thou denizens of nightmare, whom this mind doth overwhelm, let the wondrous winds of Watum blow you back into your realm. A squall of iridescent wind gusted across the hill, through the cabin and the rain, and scattered the somnivores like sand. The bed cover swirled and flew, mingling with ashes from the hearth. Then there was nothing but Jane and Stephen on the hill, standing in the rain, and the remnants of the ruined cabin, of which less than a full wall remained. Stephen turned to face Jane. This is all in your head, Jane. I won't say thoughts can't hurt. But you're in no real danger here. <laughs> she hugged herself tightly. Stephen remembered the large footed green coat she was wearing back at the sanctum and conjured it for memory.
2: I'm always in danger. And I'm always dreaming.
1: Well, that was the clip. I hope you guys enjoyed it um so i mean Devin, what is what, what was your response you guys you heard it for the first time you're sort of in the middle of you know making up all of these things in your head and and kind of connecting with a reader in a way that's going to connect with their imagination when graphic audio comes in and brings it to life what you know how, how do you respond to that
3: it is so cool I was so excited when I realized that was going to be happening and to me it it was sort of like when pages come back from a really great artist that you're getting to see somebody else's interpretation of your work in a way that adds this totally new dimension to it and listening to the the audio really felt like that to me it was this amazing production it's almost more like a radio play Um, and yeah hearing the characters come to life and and there's music and sound effects It, it was really
1: exciting and fun what about you, Sarah? What, what, were your, what was your response?
2: Um, yeah, I love working with Graphic Audio. Um, they've been a great licensee, and they do a really nice job with all of our books. Um, you can check out their full line. It's graphicaudio.net. Um But what I really love about it is the care that they take in uh, making sure that they're accurate to the source text, but they're also um, really giving you something new that you're not just getting from the pros. Um, But we, you know, they come back to us with all kinds of, like, great questions. Um, They're really careful about pronouncing names and things like that, just very respectful towards the uh, source. So they're always really fun to work with. Um, And the productions are, you know, they're just perfect for, like, road trips or train yeah, radio
1: radio uh a program sound is like the best, I think. Yeah, like the nineteen
0: forties Yeah, it yeah
1: feels, so cool. Yeah, it's really cool and their their voice actors are fantastic. Mm-hmm. We had a feature, um, for those of you guys out there, we had a feature with um Ms. Marvel. They actually did an adaptation of the Ms. Marvel uh comics, which we usually don't do. We usually do the prose novels. That's right. what they do adaptations of. Um, but they did it of the the first volume uh, of Ms. Marvel, No Normal, and we had um, the voice actress on here maybe about six months ago, ten months ago, a while ago. Um, but it was really cool, you're right. They have mm-hmm. a they really care about the source material and about making sure these characters come to life in a very. Distinct and different way. Um, so, I think they did so one that.
2: of those for um, Daredevil, Guardian Devil as well. The Kevin Smith storyline. Oh, cool.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's. I mean, that's why we do these podcasts. But I think like radio programs, anything that you're sort of listening to on on the headset is really the future of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and you can download it on your phone,
0: iOS or Android, and listen to it on the train or any other way like that. Because that's how I
1: listen to it. So, it's pretty cool. Um, So, uh, Devin, before we we sign off, actually, you had mentioned earlier, um, you know, you've been in the industry for 20 years now, right? (laughs) And I think this is probably really fascinating for a lot of people out there because not not, not that many women have been, at least female creators, have uh, been in the industry for that long. A lot of times they come and leave or you know there there's there's very few women who've had the kind of career that you've had um, why don't, I mean could you tell us a little bit about you know how you got into comics, why comics, and sort of what how the industry has really changed for you?
3: Sure. Um, I actually did not read comics growing up. Um, I was sort of raised in a hippie household, and they just weren't around. I don't think anyone would have had a problem with them, but it wasn't something I encountered uh, until much later in my life. And by that time, I already knew that I wanted to be a writer, and I was um, working on fiction projects. And I stumbled across the Batman animated series, which um, was just... So amazing and um, grown up and interesting and unlike anything I'd seen before. And as I commented earlier, I, I have this habit of falling in love with people who don't exist. And <laughs> that uh, happened there. And I sort of became obsessed with the characters enough to follow them back to their source of you know their, their origin point, which, of course, was comics. And I had no idea uh, what the industry was like or how competitive it was or how male dominated. I didn't know any of that. I just cold called DC. And back in the day, they had receptionists who would answer and put you through to anybody without even really figuring out wow. who you were. It didn't <laughs> matter. Yeah, I used to, when I used to do lectures, like, You know, 15 years ago, I just put the number on the board and go, there you go, there's your money's worth. (laughs) But I asked to speak to the person in charge of Batman uh, and ended up on the phone with Denny O'Neill. Oh, wow. And I told him that I knew how to write, um, but I'd recently really become interested in Batman and his relationships with the characters around him, and I didn't really know about comics. Was that something they could teach me? Did he have any suggestions? And he sort of laughed and said, well, you know, we get hundreds of calls a day from people who've read every comic ever written, but they don't know how to write, and I don't know how to teach them that. But yeah, we could totally teach you about comics. So he and his editorial staff made a bunch of recommendations, some classes to take, some books to read, and I did all that and stayed in an email relationship with them, and eventually they gave me a script, and off I went.
1: So what what classes were you taking? Like, is that a recommendation? Like, do you recommend taking classes? Do you recommend... You know, working with a great editor, like for people who are new to comics, specifically comics writing, um, because there's a lot of people trying to transition in. What's your what's your advice to them?
3: Well, the class they recommended was Robert McKee's story structure class.
1: Oh, I that. Um, and I
3: do think, yeah, story structure is an absolutely critical thing to know, um, both on the art and the writing side, really, because um, the medium is about that integrated storytelling, so both parties need to know how to do that. Um, the other stuff, they didn't talk about this, but I found so helpful, is my, uh, before writing, I w- wanted to be an actress, and I took a bunch of theater classes, and I mm-hmm. think those are so useful for writing in terms of scene beats and characters motivation, I think there's a lot you can learn there that will really help you. Um, with comic writing, I think one of the things people don't realize, it's not about having one good idea. It's about having, you know, 19 ways to change that idea when editorial keeps coming back to you telling you that it can't go the way you wanted it to go. You have to be so fast on your feet and so flexible. Um, and I, I, I really feel that theater helped me develop that stamina.
1: That's, a, that's such a great note, honestly, because we also have a lot of people here at Marvel who have theater backgrounds, like a lot of our editors, some of our writers, and that's one of the biggest thing that Joe Casada, who's our chief creative officer, um, would always say. Like, we actually are looking for people who do have theater experience because that's the best translation a playwright to a comics writer or an actress um, or actor actress uh, to you know someone within the comics creative field. That's an easier transition point than any other industry for whatever reason. Um, I, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think it's maybe just like the way that the the, the drama is translated um, with limited, really limited resources, and kind of bringing that to life. Uh, exactly, yeah. and that
3: relationship between um, what's spoken and what you're seeing, and how there's there's a slight space between them. Yeah, that isn't there in most other media. Yeah, mm-hmm. I completely agree.
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, also the scripts are somewhat similar. They're very similar looking.
3: Yeah, yeah,
0: they're very different than obviously writing a prose novel, which is actually a novel, than writing like person walks into room, show room, has this, has this, has this. And also understanding
1: the limitations of action, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of writers don't realize... You know, that they're like, oh, panel one, and they put, like, five different actions happening in pa- in one panel.
3: Exactly. Batman throws <laughs> his grapple hook, and you're like, no, 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 wait, stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah learn, learning about static action is, is one of the hardest things, and that's absolutely sort of the chief beginner mistake, is trying to cram too much uh, into one panel. And I guess the flip side of that is not putting enough in the panel yeah. in terms of those other um, acting things that we were talking about. Like, you, you want to say, what are your characters feeling? What, what's their motivation in that? Scene? What are they hoping is going to happen? Yeah. And the more that you can put down for the artist, the more they can bring the characters to life.
1: Yeah, definitely. And seeding that information, you know, it's, it's a lot that writers have to do. Seeding that information earlier, having visual cues earlier um, that you can follow up on, uh, you know, towards the end of an issue and end of an arc or something like that. So there is a day, great, great learning process. The story, Robert McKee's story seminar was great. I went to that um, mm-hmm. Just in terms of actual story structure. I like Scott McCloud's books, too, just for people. That yeah, um, was one of the ones they recommended.
3: Yeah. Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics was the very first thing I, re- I read. And uh, that was, more than anything, what that was invaluable for for me was being able to talk to my parents about not writing the great American novel but instead working in comics. Oh, really? as <laughs> <It's laughs> an art form and something legitimate that they shouldn't be alarmed I was doing.
0: Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. Do you, do yeah. you go, now, now look what I did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at comics now.
3: Yeah. So when I like to tell Sarah, uh, the, the other novels that I did, my dad kept looking at them and going, you know, that's great. When are you going to write a real book? And this uh, <laughs> oh. was, was the first one that he didn't say that on. He was, like, he bought it as a real book. so it was
2: Wow. Very <laughs> well, good. I'm <laughs> glad we can that taken care of. <laughs> oh, that's
1: awesome. Well, uh, this has been so much fun talking to you um, and just really awesome as to, you know, how much you've accomplished in your career and, and, and definitely so great to have you out there representing you know female creators in this industry. Really fantastic. Um, is there a particular place where fans or listeners can connect with you, find out what you're doing on social media, anywhere else? You bet. I have a website
3: at com, uh, and there's a bunch of interviews up there where I talk about stuff even more. Um, and then I, I am on Facebook and on Twitter as Gothamet.
1: Awesome, Gothamette. So G O G O T H. -H Sorry, go ahead.
3: G O T H A
1: M E T T E. Right, got it. That's what I thought. You made her second guess herself. I know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And where can people find Doctor Strange: The Fate of Dreams? Uh, It's available now in bookstores. Um, We have a Kindle edition that uh, I don't know if it's listed yet, but it's coming soon. Um, So that will be available. And uh, like I said, the graphic audio production is, I believe, already available. So it's out there. Great. Cool. Well,
0: um, as always, if you guys have questions, you can always email us at womanof@marvel.com or tweet at Marvel with hashtag womanofmarvel. Um, and we will see you guys next week. Oh, well, obviously, thank both of you for joining us. That's
1: <laughs> minor detail. Minor detail. <laughs>
0: I was just going through the, 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 my paces, and I was like, oh, wait, it's important.
2: Yes. <laughs> thank well,
3: you. thank you so much. i yeah. love the opportunity to talk to this audience. It's really exciting to see so many females involved in comics these days. Agreed. Yeah.
2: Glad to be on here. Thanks. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. Okay, we'll check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. Thanks again to Devin and Sarah for joining us on the podcast. As always, if you have questions or suggestions, please email us at at womanofatmarvel.com or tweet at Marvel with hashtag womanofmarvel. We'll be back next week with more from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is Marvel, your universe.